Aaron. This is Viewpoint with attorney and author Chuck Chrismeyer. Viewpoint is a one-hour open-line talk show confronting the issues of America's heart and home. To express your viewpoint, please call 804-754-1988. That's 804-754-1988. And now with today's edition of Viewpoint, here is Chuck Chrismeyer. It is said that angels rush in or fools rush in where angels fear to tread. And today on Viewpoint, we're going to tread or rush into one of those areas. I don't know whether that makes us a fool or not, but that's all right, because here today on Viewpoint, we talk about things that really matter, things that confront our lives as Christians, as followers of Jesus Christ. And 95-plus percent of our listeners are professing Christians, not only in America, but in the 180 countries around the world where we have actual listeners. Today we're going to be talking about this, and obviously uh, the subject that we're going to be talking about is something that uh, may have different ideas, different thoughts, very very viewpoints, uh, depending on the cultures in which people are receiving uh, our conversation here today on Viewpoint. But ultimately, there's only one ultimate culture that matters, and that's the culture of Christ. That has to supersede everything else when we talk about some of these kinds of issues. So, that having been said, uh, Crosswalk.com contained an article uh, not too long ago called 10 Things You Should Consider Before You Drink Alcohol. This was coming uh, as a Christian communication, 10 Things You Should Consider Before You Drink Alcohol. There are many who view drinking as completely off-limits. There are others who see it as a means of cultural evangelism. Drinking alcohol probably joins the list of top five polarizing topics within the church, somewhere between women in ministry, swearing, and homosexuality. Well, I would add in there divorce, yes, and alcohol, But I'm not sure which is more acceptable today in the church, divorce or alcohol, because both of them have become normative. That's where our problem is. They become normative. And why is it that they become normative? Is this a clear reflection of the fact that we have decided as professing Christians to absorb the ways of the culture in order to win the culture? Or is it just that we just kind of more like and feel more comfortable with the ways of the culture, and are pursuing happiness rather than holiness. Well, as you know, the Apostle Paul and many others within the Scriptures talk about the issue of drinking alcohol, and of course that's what we're talking about. We're not talking about water. We're not talking about Kool-Aid. We're not talking about chocolate milk. We're talking about alcoholic beverages. And the reason we're talking about alcoholic beverages is because alcoholic beverages have, uh, unlike all of those other kinds of drinks, the ability to compromise seriously our ability to control ourselves, to think straight, and to walk the life of righteousness and holiness. So, all of that having been said, uh, we're going to launch into the deep with regard to this issue of can or should Christians drink alcohol. Our special guest today, Jill Walker, 
uh, has presented us with a small little book by that title, Should Christians Drink Alcohol? And under that, the, uh, the subtitle, Sipping and Slipping. Sipping and Slipping. Now, interestingly, on the front cover is a picture of what appear to be perhaps two newlyweds, uh, young, handsome, beautiful uh, folk, uh, each holding their wine glass uh, in their hand and celebrating. Who could possibly take fault with that, right? Well, some would, because if they were raised like I did, we were totally teetotalers. There was never a glass of wine or alcohol of any sort that appeared in our home. No beer, no wine, no alcohol. On the other hand, there are those who have come to Christ much later in their lives, in their 20s or 30s or 40s or 50s, and historically, those things have been part of their life, part of their family life. And so for them, uh, the issue is not quite as, does not seem quite as significant as it would be to me. I remember one day, uh, my wife and I were over to a relative's home, and uh, as they opened the refrigerator, we were shocked to see it filled with beer. Utterly shocked, really, because that family, neither one of them, were raised drinking alcohol of any sort. How did that affect us, and why did that affect us? Well, how would it affect you if you were a non-believer, but someone had been talking to you about walking with Christ and embracing him, and you went into their home or into a restaurant and saw them boozing it up. How would that affect your understanding of what it means to have a pure and holy walk with Christ? You see, these are some of the kinds of things that come out in the course of this kind of conversation. So we're going to have a conversation here, and I'm glad that you joined us. This conversation is always with ever-increasing truth and confrontation and uh, conviction. And we need conviction, don't we? That's of the Holy Spirit. Now, how we respond to that conviction then determines whether or not we fall under condemnation. Because if we don't respond favorably to conviction, then it turns into we give the right to Satan to deal with us with condemnation, and that's not a good thing. So our special guest today, Jill Walker, joining us uh, from Illinois, the Midwest. Uh, I'm looking at her pretty face on the back of her book here. Jill, uh, just to set the stage here, uh, how many kids do you have? We have five, three sons and two daughters. All right. Well, I grew up in a family of uh, uh, five boys and two girls, and... uh, during those times, obviously, we grew up uh, having no alcohol whatsoever in my home. In fact, my father, during a period of time, uh, he had been pastor for 50 years, but during a, a short period of time, several years, he became part of representative of the Christian Temperance Union. And, of course, there it was an absolute teetotaler uh, kind of message. Uh, some of the things that they said I didn't agree with. Uh, I agreed with the general spirit of it, but I didn't agree with some of the states that were made, because I think they were contrary uh, to the actual expressions of the Word of God that does not prohibit the drinking of wine or alcohol, does it? Well, I'm reminded of that verse in Proverbs chapter 20, verse 1, that says, mm-hmm. Wine is a mocker, and strong drink 
is raging, and whoever is deceived thereby is not wise. To me, that's one of the most classic verses that I use when I teach or preach about this subject. Yeah. Well, it's true, and the same book of Proverbs warns young men about seduction. Uh, In fact, very blatant, uh, almost R-rated language there in the book of Proverbs concerning young men and being seduced uh, into uh, ungodly relationships with prostitutes or with uh, women in adultery and so on. So the spirit of that temptation is very similar Uh, the effect with regard to alcohol and its warnings there in the book of Proverbs. But that's not the only thing that the Bible says about drinking. We want to look at this in the most honest frame that we possibly can so that we can live lives of holiness and right. Once upon a time, children could pray and read their Bibles in school. Divorces were practically unknown, as was child abuse. In our once great America, virginity and chastity were popular virtues, and homosexuality was an abomination. So what happened in just one generation? Hi, I'm Chuck Chris Meyer, and I urge you to join me daily on Viewpoint, where we discuss the most challenging issues touching our hearts and homes. Could America's moral slide relate to the Fourth Commandment? Listen to Viewpoint on this radio station or anytime at saveus.org. And I welcome you back to Viewpoint. Another article from the ChristianToday.com says concurrent with the seeming epidemic of alcohol-related problems, more and more evangelical Christians find themselves relaxing their opposition to social drinking and adopting drinking habits that closely resemble those of American society as a whole. That was written in 1983 in Christianity Today, friends. Wow. 30 years ago. Or is that 40? That's 40 years ago. 40 years ago, Christianity Today was noting this trajectory that drinking was becoming normative in the church, whereas in the past it had not been. What has happened? What do you think's happened, uh, uh, Jill? Well, there's a couple things I want to share. First is, and I wrote this in my book, first, I believe probably Back in the 1970s, the mid-1970s, they started bringing alcohol into the gas stations and also into the grocery stores. Mm -hmm. And actually, it probably did hurt the liquor stores, but uh, I wasn't sympathetic about it hurting the liquor stores. But but at the same time, I I really feel like that made people see it in the common areas where they shop. And I've even seen bottles, little bottles at the checkout at some uh, Walmarts when I am on vacation out of state. Right. Uh, the little bitty pocket size. But a, a Okay, so what prisoner, you're saying is that this uh, uh, helped become normative in American culture, taking uh, alcohol out of the separate liquor stores and into traditional grocery stores. But you know what? That happened in a bigger context. And that is that during the early 1970s, the entire culture shifted on its axis to elevate feelings as the final arbiter of truth. And that happened also in the church through the church growth movement. So we can see the confluence of these social uh, events all taking place at the same time that set the stage for what we're talking about today. That's true. And in Judges, the very last chapter, last verse, 
it goes something like this. Everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Mm-hmm. And that definitely is happening today. Right. I, I want to share something with you, if that's sure. all right. It, and, and about, oh, it was probably about six weeks ago, one of my former parishioners moved to a western state. I'll not name the state, but way out west. And to my amazement, I was very appalled reading it. She and her husband were visiting a church. She didn't name the denomination, but she said we were visiting a church and we liked the music. We thought the sermon was good. And at the very end, we were encouraged to go to the visitor's table to pick up our visitor's gift. Mm. And everything so far seemed fine with her story. But to her amazement, when she went back there, they asked her if she wanted beer or wine. This was a morning Sunday morning worship service. <laughs> and it was located around some vineyards on their property. I, I couldn't believe it when I heard it. Wow. I, I knew she was telling the truth, but that spoke volumes to me about how far the church is going yeah. in this nonsense. Well, uh, you're you're calling it nonsense now, but they're calling it something else. They're calling it community. They're calling it a sense of welcome. They're calling it a sense of evangelism, communication to a generation that is virtually worshiping the glass of wine. Mm-hmm. And, you know, a recovered alcoholic, let's say they, would, they, they weren't that at all, but let's say a recovered alcoholic comes to church knowing that they're going to get help, and maybe they're going to another class also on the side, but they decide to visit a church and get their life more together, mm-hmm. and then they're confronted with that. Yeah. Okay, so what is the effect there? Let's try to put these things in a context so that people can understand that this isn't just a matter of whether or not you have a glass of wine or whether or not you have a glass of beer or a bottle of beer. It's something bigger than that. What is it that's bigger than that? Well, I believe that the scriptures definitely teach for us not to partake of alcohol. Um. I'm sorry, I didn't bring my Bible with me today. I'm at my own church here. Well, that's all right. You have it in your mind, and that's all that that matters. There's a verse in Proverbs also that says, don't look upon the wine when it is red, when it giveth its color in the cup, for it it biteth like a serpent and stingeth like an adder. Well, that's all we need to know about it, because that's exactly what happens. That's exactly what happens, and uh, you find that so many people who are out thinking they're socializing, uh, actually they're compromising uh, their God-given will and emotions and self-control and uh, opening themselves up to temptations and hidden snares that otherwise would never get a hook in them. I agree. And, you know, I have not met one person yet who just drinks wine and that's all. Wine is like the gateway, you could say, like marijuana is to drugs. I believe wine is, when people misinterpret that story, Jesus turned the water into wine, they use that as an excuse and they don't realize even the wine in the Bible days, and by by the way, that word in its original meaning, it could go either way. It could be alcoholic or non-alcoholic because back in the Bible days, even what we call grape juice today was still called wine 
without right. the alcohol in it. Most people don't realize that. Well, and I even think the alcohol... perhaps it was fermented, but it was mildly fermented. Exactly. And uh, exactly. actually, the other information that I have is that actually it was watered down significantly. Uh, and it was that way because actually in many areas, potable water was not all that available. And uh, it was a way of protecting people from certain diseases, and so they would have a modest fermentation uh, in mm-hmm. the grape juice or the That's wine. True. But it was alcoholic. I'm convinced of that. Otherwise, the Bible would not have such continuing implications uh, concerning the alcoholic issue and sure. warnings. And I, I yes, I, be, I do believe there were stories that had definite alcohol in them, and some in some of the verses we read were not alcoholic. But you're so right because the the content of that alcohol was so small compared to what it is today. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I recently had a, a situation with a very uh, trusted worker who had been working for us, a uh, very fine uh, young man, and uh, he had been watching our lives. He had done quite a bit of work for us in our home, watching our lives, listening to our conversation, and asking a lot of questions. And uh, ultimately, just about six months ago, he came to the conclusion, the Holy Spirit was drawing him, and he made the conclusion, the the commitment to uh, convert, uh, devote his life to Jesus Christ from that time on. That's great. His decisions were immediately changed his outlook and viewpoint became immediately changed. And he was not raised in a teetotaler situation. His whole family had been involved in alcoholism or alcohol. And then he began to share a story with me about a family member that he had actually had to go at great lengths driving to try to help this uh, family member who now has found himself in severe problems with a DUI and damages that uh, came as a result of that DUI, and the effect on his family, his marriage, and every single other aspect of his life. And I said, you know, as I'm listening to you, this is the kind of thing that we need to understand. People just cannot normally control the effect of what is going to happen when they yield themselves to whether it's their uh, two or three bottles of beer or glasses of wine, they just don't realize the implications that are going to fall out in the consequences that are so dire and damaging. That's so true, and it affects our thinking. Well, I've never drank, but I'm saying when one does drink, it, it, it will affect their thinking. And I, I have preachers that do not drink now, but they used to before they gave their heart totally to the Lord. Mm-hmm. And they, they've told me that for some people, even one drink can relax them and, and, and affect them more than maybe somebody else that's had maybe two or three drinks. Well, and it's I interesting call- how drinking just the wine or beer uh, lures people into a sense of uh, uh, easiness with, uh, you know, getting them into alliances with other men, other women, other than their spouses, or even right. uh, others uh, in a fornicating situation. And uh, they they actually set themselves up 
for the temptation, yet the Scripture says we should flee from temptation. Why is it that we're so drawn uh, to expose ourselves to things that we know, in theory, are highly susceptible to damaging us, yet we do it anyway? Don't you think, Chuck, that today there's not enough preachers giving the correct information, teaching and preaching on this subject. Well, I think it's because the preachers themselves are imbibing. You are so right. They have been sucked into the ways of the culture, particularly uh, the younger ones, millennials and so on. Uh, They think it's cool. They think it's a part of the wine culture, part of the the clubby culture, and uh, isn't that wonderful and isn't it cool? I know that I could probably find some people that are not saved, they drink, and I, if I would ask them what should a Christian live like, they could be, give me sometimes, sometimes, a better definition than someone that's not living a life as close to God. And one time I was witnessing to a man, this was about, oh, five or six years ago, and I, I got to the point where I, I, I was, he was very receptive, and I got sure he'd let me pray with him for his soul, and then he stopped. He said, you know, I can't do it. And he, he knew about hell. He knew what would happen to him. He said, I, I can't give up my drink, and I just love it too much. Mm-hmm. I, and you know what I said to him? I didn't force it. I, I just stopped. I said, and I said, you know, I, I said his name, and I said, you know, I do admire your honesty. And I was sorry he, he turned it down, but he wasn't rejecting me. Right. But, but he knew the definition of how Christian really lives. And let me share another story real quick for about 30 seconds. Recently, I went to a concert in a town about an hour away from me, and I sat on the first row, and there was an intermission break. And during the intermission, I sat next to an elderly lady, and I started sharing about my life, what I do. She started sharing about her life, and she just started telling me their early year of marriage and raising their children, how she found the Lord. She said, my husband and I were raising our children. They were four and six at the time, and now she's, you know, a widow, and the children are grown. Mm-hmm. But she said, he went to church. He heard the message. He went home. He emptied out the alcohol. He laid aside even the cigarettes, and he was a changed man. I said, you know what? He really got saved. He really got touched by God. Well, that's and, what and- happens when the Holy Spirit comes in. Uh, it convicts you of sin, of, the, of unrighteousness, the things that are deterring you from the walk of holiness and righteousness, and you act on it. Uh, that's the action that is required of us in order to follow the leading of the Holy Spirit for holiness and righteousness. I appreciate your sharing that story. Friends, the small little book by Jill Walker, Should Christians Drink Alcohol? Sipping and Slipping, uh, we're not here ordering you or commanding you in some way. What we're saying is we've become part of the slipping culture by sipping. Have you? What is it leading you to do, to think, to be, to risk? Is it really worth it? Are we really seriously pursuing the mind and the heart of Christ? Or are we playing the game with the culture and trying to live with one one foot in one camp and one foot in the other? Just asking the question. Each one of us has to make these kinds of decisions. 
Nobody is condemning anybody here on this program. We're thinking out loud with truth. The book, $10. On our website, saveus.org, should Christians drink alcohol, sipping and slipping. It's uh, there on the website, saveus.org. You can give us a call at 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. By the way, from Christianity Today back in 1983, 40 years ago, this special article, Alcoholism, Even the Church is Hurting, Alcoholism at that time was the third largest health problem in the United States, and at that time was set to damage directly the lives of one out of every four or five Americans. So what is the scope of that problem within the church? I guess we're finding out. We'll be right back, friends. Stay tuned. There is so much more about Chuck Chris Meyer and Save America Ministries on our website, saveus.org. For example, on the front page are two great videos. First, an interview and discussion of Chuck's book, Out of Egypt. Also, a great TV interview with Chuck regarding his book, Seduction of the Saints. Much more videos, a For Pastors Only section, and also you can view Chuck's weekly teachings. All at his website, saveus.org. That's saveus.org. Also on Chuck's website, listen to Chuck's Viewpoint broadcast. Listen to the archives. Maybe you missed a program. Check it out at saveus.org. Also, there are some great resources, hospitality information, also information about marriage, divorce, and remarriage, newsletters, articles, prophecy, Prayer and revival information, all at saveus.org. Whether it's vodka in Russia, beer in Germany, or wine in France, the question still remains, should Christians drink alcohol, and how should we view the matter of alcoholic beverages? That's the question. How should we, as followers of Jesus Christ, view alcoholic beverages? You see, viewpoint determines destiny. It really does. And this is one more issue where viewpoint determines destiny. For instance, let's say that a man uh, of whatever age decides to click on something on his uh, computer, like came up on my computer yesterday. It was a, a mere question. And uh, when I looked at it, at first it sounded interesting, but then I thought, you know what? They're trying to catch me and lead me into porn. So I didn't click on it. I can't afford to click on it. I can't afford to allow myself to open my eye gate to porn because porn, like alcohol, is very seductive. It is. And if a man allows himself one view it could be the end of his life in addiction to porn. I'm not kidding you, my friends. That's how addictive it is. Even secular scientists and doctors are admitting it. So, why would we allow ourselves to be seduced into things that we know are likely 
have the strong likelihood of leading us into problems that compromise our lives, our righteousness, our holiness, even our self-control? That's the question before us. Did you know that in 2014, nine years ago, the United States became the largest wine-consuming nation in the world? Not France, the United States. And consumption in America has risen steadily every year since. Why? Well, here's one article that says wine is a social drink. It's classy, or it seems classy, which makes it fit for many occasions. Where there's merrymaking, many people believe the reason for that is that it makes people lose their inhibitions and compels them to converse more. It activates our endorphin system. Really? Hmm. So why do we drink it? What is it that seduces? Is it because everybody else is doing it? You can't even turn on a television program these days without somewhere in there they have to show their normalcy. Everything is about drinking. Everything. Without that, you have no commonality. Without that, you have no humanity. It's just what we do. Really. The question is, is that what Christians do? Or is that what Christians should do? That's our question here today. And you and I, we all have to resolve this issue on our own. We do. So nobody's preaching at you here today. We're discussing the truth that surrounds this issue. The questions that we should be asking rhetorically every time we think about alcoholic beverages in our lives. Jill, you have five kids. What are their ages? Huh. Now you're going to really think. Oh, this okay. Is well, really think. look. Are they no, all I'll over twenty? No, I don't mind. I, I don't mind. Are they one all over twenty? Oh yes. Okay. Well, no, 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 no. One is still living at home. The rest are over twenty. Okay. Okay. And you have grandchildren. Yes, I do have eight, actually. I just counted in my head. <laughs> okay, eight grandchildren. Okay, well, that's good. Uh, so they, your kids are all living in the culture that is seducing them to make the drinking of alcoholic beverages of whatever sort normal in their life, right? That's correct. You can't force them one way or the other, can you? No, I cannot. No, I'm not going to ask you how they're responding to this. I'm not asking you because uh, I don't want you to have to, uh, uh, you know, you may not even know. You may not even know. Because this is such, it's like a magnet that is drawing the majority of our young people into its clutches, isn't it? You are so on target. That is so true. So, here I am, an absolute teetotaler, as is my wife. So am I. Mm-hmm. Now, I'm not. That's not. I'm, they're not bragging rights. Okay, no. they're not bragging rights. Part of that was the, shall we say, the teaching and the environment in which I grew up in my family. But my children, excuse me, my brothers and sisters did not embrace the same understanding that I did. 
I dare say that every single one of them has been involved in alcohol at some point. Every single one of them, whether Christian or other non-Christian. So what is it that would cause me to not imbibe and resist the temptation to imbibe, even at a wedding where they're offering whatever it is? I just don't do it. I don't want to get close enough to be tested and tempted so that I would be entering into a whole new realm that might lead me into further temptation and compromise my testimony. Is there anything wrong with that thinking? I I totally agree with you. And my husband and I have never even tasted it. There's two things I want to share again. And one is when I was just a small child, but old enough to walk to school by myself, there was a tavern on the way to school across the street. Back then, they were like shack taverns. Right. I'm old enough that that's what they had back then. Sure. Today, you don't see those. But I remember seeing men come out of there, and they would be staggering. And this was like, you know, 3 in the afternoon on the way home from school or something. Mm-hmm. And it scared me. And I remember playing with my friends in the neighborhood. And one neighbor across the street was a nice man. But he'd sit on his porch in the summertime and drink his beer. And I used to think, that thing just stinks so bad. And, and in both cases, it just turned me off. On my own, even though I was raised not to drink, just seeing those things happen, especially staggering and drunk, I, I just thought, people, what are they doing this for? To, just to not be able to walk straight. My husband came from a home where his dad worked in a liquor business for years. And I totally believe my husband. I've never caught him in a lie in the 52 years we've been married. He has never, neither have I, but he has never even tasted it on his lips. Yeah. And I think that is an amazing testimony. His parents were just social drinkers. They were never alcoholics. But when they really gave their heart to the Lord, he got out of that business, started a frame shop. They totally gave it up. And to my knowledge, they're in heaven now. But to my knowledge, they never drank again. I never saw it in their house or them holding it ever again. This is a very difficult thing because our culture uh, over the past 40 years has just totally capitulated to the normalizing of the drinking of alcoholic beverages uh, openly, publicly, among Christians. It's as if, as you showed that story, even the churches were offering it as uh, some sort of a a welcome. (laughs) I I couldn't believe it. You know, we've had this, this question within, in the taking of communion or the Eucharist, however people refer to it, Uh, Should it be alcoholic or not? In the spheres in which I have lived and ministered and been involved, uh, it's always been non-alcoholic. Some, it's alcoholic. And I'm not here to condemn people about that one way or the other. Uh, The issue isn't whether one sip of an alcoholic beverage is going to be the end of your devotion to Christ. It's where is that leading, and one step leads to the next step leads to the next step, and you're absolutely right that wine, just like marijuana, is the stepping stone into tougher stuff. It just is. So here I'm looking at this article. uh, It's called theconversation.com, and uh, it says, Wine is now becoming part and parcel of America's culture with over 7,700 wineries across the country in all 50 states. 
It's the millennial population has been embracing wine at record numbers. Television and movies regularly feature wine and wine drinking. The U.S., the largest wine-consuming nation in the world, at over 329 million cases of wine sold in 2013. That was 10 years ago. It's much more than that. But you know what's so amazing? Donald Trump, believe it or not, whatever you think of him, he does not drink and he does not smoke. That is Why amazing. do you think that is? Well, because of his brother. That's what I've heard him say on television. Oh. His brother had a drinking problem, and on his deathbed, I believe I'm saying this correct, mm. but his brother looked at him and told Donald, don't ever drink, don't ever drink. Mm-mm-mm. Well, there's there's some uh, some real truth there. Friends, the book, it's a small book, uh, 60 pages, Should Christians Drink Alcohol? Sipping and Slipping. Read the book. Ask the Holy Spirit about this, because you see, if we're on the near edge of the second coming, uh, the Bible says that without holiness, no man will see the Lord. And I'm not here to tell you that drinking or not drinking is the sign of whether you're holy or not holy. You're going to have to consider that before the Lord, because the scriptures warn against the effects of drinking alcohol. Just do. And it's not just the effect on you. It's the implications for your testimony before others. Few people ever think about that. Can I share something, Chuck? To... Yeah, before, after, the, after the coming break here. Sure, okay. Here's the book, Should Christians Drink Alcohol, Friends? Uh, $10 on our website, saveus.org. $10 on our website, saveus.org. Give us a call. 1-800-SAVE-USA. That's 1-800-SAVE-USA. Or write to us at Save America Ministries. PO Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 2325. By writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. Again, nobody's preaching at you. This is an open subject. It must be discussed if we're really honest with ourselves. Pastor. Have you ever considered what the early church was like? Many people are developing a heart longing for a greater fulfillment in our practices as Christians. A recent study showed 53,000 people a week are leaving the back door of America's churches in frustration. What is going on? Why has there not been even a 1% gain among followers of Christ in the last 25 years? Could it be that God is seeking to restore first century Christianity for the 21st century? Jesus said, I'll build my church. Is Christ by His Spirit stirring to prepare the church for the 21st century? The early church prayed together and broke bread from house to house. They were family, and it was said by all who observed, Behold how they love one another. Incredible. But the same can be found right now. Go to saveus.org and click Sell Church. We can revive first century Christianity for the 21st century. It's about people, not programs. It's about a body, not a building. That's saveus.org. Click Sell Church. What a delight it is to be able to join you here on Viewpoint to talk about the things that matter most. Most people would not talk about this subject. Uh, You wouldn't hear it for the most part on most Christian 
radio programs, and the reason is because it's considered too delicate. They just won't talk about it. They just won't talk about it because it's become too popular, and pastors and parachurch leaders don't want to risk losing their followings and the monies that are associated with it. They just don't want to do that. So it's becoming normative in our church congregations, and particularly in those run by millennials and now Generation Zers. Our special guest today, Jill Walker, with her book, Should Christians Drink Alcohol? Sipping and Slipping. Uh, Jill, do you remember what you wanted to share there? before the? Yes. In Illinois, it's called the Department of Children and Family Services, and these are people that will find children in homes that are not appropriate for them to be raised in, whether it's permanent or temporary. Mm-hmm. So they call it abbreviated DCFS. Well, I was talking to one of the ladies that represent DCFS in Illinois, and she told me something I thought was so profound, and I suppose people listening could look this up after I say it uh, sometime and see if this is true. But they said, she said, whether it's the man or the woman at the time of conception, if there's alcohol in their body, that it can sometimes, not every time, but sometimes affect that child. And I was taken back by that because more and more there are children being born that have issues and behavioral issues, mm-hmm. and we sometimes attribute that to drugs. And I, do, I know well, that alcohol is a up. drug. Oh, yes, you're right. And, mm-hmm. and people don't look at it as a drug. But, but it, it is. It is a drug. And they don't realize that sometimes, even during pregnancy, when a woman drinks, it can affect the baby's brain development. And when she said that it's even at conception, that, that really surprised me. And I got to thinking it, but I thought, well, that makes sense. It, it does make sense. It, it says in First Corinthians 10.31, whether therefore ye eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. Mm-hmm. And I just don't see drinking as for the glory of God. Yeah. Well, uh, some people do. They, they think that uh, by drinking, they're actually uh, inuring themselves to uh, the culture around them and uh, uh, creating a relaxed environment for uh, spreading the gospel. How do you respond? Uh, I, I, I don't agree. I respond. When, when sometimes... It is, it's kind of like sharing porn uh, yeah. with somebody to try to uh, let let them know that uh, you understand about that and uh, to try to lead them to Christ by showing them a little porn. Well, I've even heard people, I've read articles, I don't know of anybody, but I've read articles where people will have a Bible study in a tavern. I, I just think mm-hmm. that's carrying it way too far. I really do. I mean... The Bible tells us to come out from among them and be separate in Second Corinthians six seventeen, and I and I believe we are in the world, but you've heard this yourself for years. But we shouldn't be part of the world. And and you're so right that I think a lot of pastors are not touching the subject because they know they'll lose some parishioners, yeah. and that will affect their attendance, and that will affect probably their salary. Well, but, the interesting thing is, it's almost impossible to sever uh, the uh, incessant drinking of wine and alcohol and beer from worldliness. It is almost mm-hmm. a, one of the clearest, simplest indicia of worldliness. That's right. That's what's, that's what's so interesting about this. You know, uh, in the Old Testament, 
God appears to be a very concerned about this. Uh, and there's nothing in the Bible that prohibits uh, the drinking of alcoholic beverages, period. It just doesn't do that. It does, it does say, be not drunk with wine, wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. But the question is, how far can you go and not be filled with wine with excess? But when it comes to ministry, you know, we're called a kingdom of priests right there in the New Testament, which is a repeat of what God says in the Old Testament. So in the book of Leviticus, it says, The Lord spoke to Aaron, the high priest, saying, You and your sons are not to drink wine or other fermented drink whenever you go into the tent of meeting, or you will die. This is a lasting ordinance for the generations to come. You must distinguish between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. And you must teach Israel all the decrees the Lord has given them through Moses. So God was saying, look, you priests, you cannot go into the temple, into the tabernacle, if you have been drinking wine or some other strong drink. You can't do it because you are compromising holiness. As members of a spiritual priesthood, we have to think, why was Aaron told to refrain from strong drink prior to entering God's sanctuary? Well, the answer was very simple. Strong drink affects our ability to discern between the holy and the common, between the unclean and the clean. So alcohol alters our mental and spiritual capabilities, limiting our ability to choose holiness our most important responsibility as representatives of Christ on earth. Now, this is coming from an interesting article uh, that came out July 5th, 2023, on Crosswalk.com. It seems, another writes, so drunkenness in the life of a Christian blasphemes the temple of God himself because our bodies are supposed to be the temples of the Holy Spirit. So, How do we respond uh, to this? Uh, We don't want to uh, try to tell people that the Bible teaches uh, that the drinking of wine or an alcoholic beverage is the unpardonable sin. That's not what we're trying to say. The question is, do you want to walk in holiness or righteousness? Isn't that the real question? That's true. I totally agree. It it hurts our testimony. I think it hurts our testimony. I I think it does. Um, I would be very troubled, quite frankly. Uh, We have many, many people for the past uh, 28, 29 years, we've had a house church, large house church. If I, uh, I would not want people to be able to open my refrigerator and see any alcoholic beverages, beer, wine, whatever. I wouldn't want it. We actually have in our kitchen a nice wine thing there, a rack that's built in. There's nothing in it. Why is there nothing in it? We don't want to compromise our witness. That's why. So why is it that doesn't seem to be understood generally? I don't think people have a knowledge of it. I, 
I, I think or is they it that they surf- don't want to have the knowledge of it? They don't. There's a surface knowledge they have, and they. I think a lot of people just don't want to surrender 100%. And I'm thinking of those verses in Matthew 7, 13, and 14 that says, straight is the way and narrow, you know, straight and narrow is the way. I'm not quoting mm-hmm. it perfect. Enter ye in at the straight gate, for broad is the way. Right. Matthew that leads chapter to seven. And many there be that go in thereat, but straight is the gate and narrow is the way that leadeth unto life. And few, few there be that find it. Now, can a Christian drink wine and still go to heaven? I, absolutely. I believe they can. But I believe God has something better. If they would let it go, I think God would give them even a stronger anointing and a greater testimony. I do believe that. I think that's a good way to express it. I really do. Uh, you know, I embark upon this conversation here today uh, with some trepidation because uh, I don't want people to feel that somehow uh, we're communicating uh, defining sin like the Jews did. Uh, the no. Jewish leaders added, the uh, rabbis added rules and regulations to what God had said. That's what the Apostle Paul warned about. Adding works on top of what God had said. Jesus warned about it. He said, you by your traditions to make the word of God of none effect. We don't want to do that here on this program. On the other hand, we want to keep the main thing the main thing. The main thing is, do I want to honor God or not? Do I want to walk in holiness and righteousness or not? What is it, if anything, that is compromising that? Whether overeating or uh, drinking wine and alcohol, there are many things. Pornography, you know, right now, 70% of professing Christian men admit to being engaged in pornography. 30% of their pastors admit the same. 34% of Christian women admit to seeking out pornography. And we say that we're pursuing holiness? You've got to be kidding me. We're not, we're not sincere. We're just not sincere. And what we're talking about here today is just one more issue of sincerity in seeking God and walking with him in purity and holiness. Isn't that what we're really talking about? And, and don't you think, Chuck, these things are what is hindering our country or anywhere someone is listening to this from revival? Oh, no question about it. Because the reality is we think that if we really had revival, we would have to relinquish some of these things which we're not willing to do. That's it. Yeah. We become inured to... Uh, kind of like uh, tradition. They become habits, cultural habits, uh, habits of the heart. And uh, when something becomes a habit of the heart, that's a real problem. That's a real problem because, uh, for instance, they say that the only way to break a habit is you've got to cease from it for at least 21 days if you have any hope of being delivered from that habit. On the other hand, if we're seeking the Lord with a whole heart, really, seriously, and we come clean before him on any area where he convicts us. We're not trying to convict you here on this program, friends. That's the Holy Spirit's job. But we are here to discuss from the Bible, from God's viewpoint, the issues related to the matter of consuming alcoholic beverages of whatever sort. 
I, I love that verse in John eight twenty nine. It says, "For I always do those things that please Him." Mm-mm-mm. That's what Jesus said. I always do those things that please the Father, and that's that's really what the heart of this conversation is about. Sure, I sure always do those things that are pleasing to the Father. Well, Jill, thank you so much for taking the time to join us here today. Uh, when your little book came across my desk, I thought, you know what? We really need to talk about this. We really do. And immediately after that came this article from uh, Crosswalk.com, 10 Things You Should Consider Before You Drink Alcohol, directed to Christians. So <laughs> I thought, okay, there's confirmation. We're going to do right. it, and we'll let uh, God, by his Spirit, touch the minds and hearts of the people. Friends, again, well, thank the you. book. Thank you for having me on. Should Christians Drink Alcohol, Sipping and Slipping? Uh, $10 on our website, saveus.org. Saveus.org. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-USA, 1-800-SAVE-USA, or write to us at Save America Ministries, P.O. Box 70879, Richmond, Virginia, 23255. Writing a check at $5 for postage and handling. And let me urge you, my friend, to become a a, a partner with us. Uh, That means two things, or three things. It means in prayer, it means telling other people about the program, and it also means your financial support. You see, we have no commercial support for this program, purposely. You know why that is? So we're not seduced into trying to please an advertiser who gains control and dominion over what you say or don't say. It's a very slippery slope. It's taken down many broadcasters. Yes, it has. We don't do that. God is trusting you, and we're trusting God. Thanks for joining us. Go to our website, saveus.org. Become a partner there. Give us a call, 1-800-SAVE-US-A-Write-TO-US and Save America Ministries. Do it today. Don't delay. Set up yourself for a regular, automatic, monthly donation right there on the website, saveus.org. Give us a call, and we'll help you through that. God bless. Be a blessing. And remember, without holiness, no man or woman will see the Lord. Right there in the book of Hebrews. Thanks for joining us. God bless. been listening to Viewpoint with Chuck Grissmeyer. Viewpoint is supported by the faithful gifts of our listeners. Let me urge you to become a partner with Chuck as a voice to the church declaring vision for the nation. Join us again next time on Viewpoint as we confront the issues of America's heart and home.